from Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night. Nor the arrow that flies by day. Nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness. Nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Lord, even in the valley of the shadow of death, we will not fear. We will not fear. Why? Because you are with us. You are with us. Lord, you with us, Emmanuel, God with us. That is our only hope. God, apart from you, we are nothing. Apart from you, we are lost. Apart from you, we are left to our own wisdom, and our wisdom is folly. So, Lord, we confess together this morning that we need you. We look to you. We are here this morning, yes, Lord, yes, to exalt you, to praise you, but also because we long for more of you. We long to meet with you. We long to hear from you. God, today we just want to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn, be drawn in to intimacy, to relationship with him. God, as we open your word, we open it because we believe it has power. We believe this is how you speak. And we are desperate for your words. Soften our hearts. And Lord, comfort our hearts today as we look to you. In Jesus' precious holy name we pray and worship. Amen. You may be seated. As you take a seat, I just want to invite you to go ahead and take your Bible out and open the Psalm 91. Open the Psalm 91 that you've already heard read. That's where we'll be spending most of our time today. You know, I think if we were to be honest, uh, our trouble, our trouble in this life is comprehensive. Our trouble in this life is comprehensive. Uh, it doesn't take living very long to realize how fragile life is, right? Pick a side, look around, 
and we are surrounded by trouble on every side. So if life is fragile, and I think we know it is, what's the play? What do we do? How do we respond? How do we protect this life that we know is both so precious but also so fragile? Well, what do we do with other fragile things? I know uh, over the years I've had a few fragile things, precious things to me, and what we typically do is we put those things in cases. We wrap them in something that's stronger than they are. Uh, when I bought Allie's engagement ring that I gave, gave to her when I asked her to marry me, they didn't just reach over the counter and hand me the ring. No, they handed me a, a box, and that box was a strong box. It was a secure box, and the ring was safely enclosed inside of that box because something so precious, something so valuable, needs to be protected. Uh, I, I like to play music, and occasionally on, at times I've traveled with my instruments, well, when you travel with something like a guitar, you, know, you, you need to put it in something that's sturdy, in a hard case. Because if you don't, uh, your luggage or, or some crazy person will, will smash it. And so you put it inside something that's, that's firm. I would assume that almost everybody in here is holding a phone in your pocket. And most of us know that we, it's smart to put a case around your phone because we've seen what happens when one of those things falls and hits the concrete. It's not a pretty picture. So we put it in a case because we, we want it to be secure. Well, life is a precious thing, and we all know how fragile life is. And so this is one of the things you and I have to decide. You and I have to decide how will we protect our lives. What will we trust to secure us? What will we trust to encase ourselves in? Uh, what, what we might call this, is uh, an easy way to think of this, is what is your comfort zone? Where is that place that you feel like you can breathe? What do you run to to find peace, security, safety? What have you trusted to encase your precious and fragile life? Uh, the reality is, guys, uh, there's never been a better time for us to put all of our hope and all of our trust in God. Never been a better time. Ray Ortland uh, is, a, is a pastor who I love, uh, I've read and listened to a lot. Uh, this is something that he wrote a few years back. Listen to how insightful this is. He says, It's a mercy to live in troubled times like ours. When the world is falling apart, secularism is discredited, and we have no clever answers for our needs, we're le less likely to be taken in. It's more believable now that our only salvation is in God. The collapse of the city of man is the opportunity for the city of God. It is a good time to be living for God. In other words, what he's saying is, when all of our other earthly securities are falling down all around us, we are left with nothing else but to put our trust in God. Guys, we should not be surprised that our world is falling in all around us. When enough people collectively to decide to put their trust in themselves, collapse is inevitable. And so, what do we do? Where do we turn? What we're going to see today from Psalm 91 is that the threats, the comprehensive threats that you and I face are so challenging, so difficult, so far above our pay grade that the only safety, the only security, the only comfort zone in which we will truly find life 
will be in God himself. We need security that comes from outside this world. We need security and peace that comes from heaven itself. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it. This is God's promise to us through the gospel in Romans 8, 35 to 37. This is what he says. He says, he asks a really good question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In all these things. Psalm 91 is in the Bible to show us how Romans 8.37 is possible. How is it possible that in all these things, in distress, in tribulation, in nakedness, in death, we are more than conquerors. How is that possible? Well, that's what Psalm 91 is going to answer today. A, con a conqueror is someone who overcomes. A conqueror is someone who triumphs. A conqueror who is someone who, at the end, is standing in victory. And Psalm 91 is going to show us the way. Now, uh, if it's your first time here, uh, we just last week jumped back into the Psalms. Uh, we've been on this couple year long journey of going through all of the Psalms. So you can imagine we're at 91. So we started at 1, and now we're at 91. So we've been on this journey, okay? And we've been learning some things about the Psalms. The Psalms are an extremely, extremely, extremely valuable book of the Bible. And we've been learning some things about the Psalms. One of the things that we've been learning as we've been working through this journey over the last few years is something that's true about the Psalms. And it's also something that's true about the whole Bible. So maybe this, this might be new, new to you. The Bible and the Psalms aren't actually primarily about us. Okay? Now, we're in there somewhere, but we aren't the main character. And that is also true of this Psalm, Psalm 91. The Bible... And the Psalms and Psalm 91 are about Jesus. Jesus is the main character of the Bible, and he's the main character of Psalm 91. And the reason that's so important to realize this morning in particular is because this psalm is stuffed full of wonderful promises. I don't know if you heard when they read it, but I mean, this, this psalm is amazing. God is promising outrageously wonderful things. But all these promises are, and this is the key, conditional. Let me just pick out one verse, verse 14, show you what I mean. Verse 14 says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. So the reason that God fulfills the promises that we see in Psalm 91 is because someone has earned them. Uh, if you ride around town in Myrtle Beach, uh, you're going to see lots of advertisements, lots of billboards. And on these billboards and on these advertisements, something you're going to see is lots of promises, lots of guarantees, lots of offers. 
But here's something that you'll notice if you go around town and see these advertisements. Almost always, when you see one of those guarantees, when you see one of those promises, there's a little asterisk right in the bottom corner. And then right down at the bottom, there's this tiny little message that's almost too small to even read. And what it says at the bottom is it says, terms and conditions apply. What does that mean? It means that whatever they're promising, whatever they're guaranteeing, only comes true if the certain particular conditions are met. And this is why we need to understand that the, from the outset today that Psalm 91 is first and foremost about Jesus. See, all these promises that we're going to read, read about were first earned and fulfilled in the life of Jesus. So how do they get to us? Well, they come to us through Jesus. Jesus earned these. He has received them, and we've actually already seen the whole Psalm 91 play out in his life. And then when you and I place our faith in Jesus, then all of these promises become true for us. That we can claim them not because we earned them, not because we deserve them, not because we are entitled to them. You and I are not more than conquerors because we conquer We are more than conquerors because Jesus conquered and our faith is in him. And that's vitally important before we jump jump in. 1 Corinthians 1.20 says this, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Talking about Jesus. So as you read through the Bible, anytime you see a promise... There is always an asterisk beside that promise. And out beside it, you should think to yourself, conditions must be met. And then you should ask yourself, have I met the conditions? Answer, no. But then we ask a second question, has Jesus met the conditions? Answer, yes. And so that's why we place all of our hope and trust in him. Guys, this is the heart of Christianity. This is what we're about at this church. My job this morning is not to convince you that you can do it. That would be a fool's errand. My job is, hopefully, to convince all of us to place our trust in Jesus because he has, he has, he has, he has overcome the world. All right, that was sermon number one. Now we're going to get to sermon number two. As we work through the passage today, we're going to ask three questions, okay? Three questions. First question is this. How do we conquer in Christ? How do we conquer in Christ? Answer, by faith. This is how the psalm opens up in verses 1 and 2. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So what we're going to see about this psalm is this psalm is about trust. That's the word that gets used there at the end of verse 2, about trust. Trust means to transfer, transfer our confidence to something else or someone else. And there's four images here, four images that are given, four similar images that are given to help us understand what trust is. What is trust? How should we think about trust? Four images. We've got the shelter, we've got the shadow, we've got the refuge, and we've got the fortress. So let's just unpack them one by one. First, let's think about a shelter, right? A shelter is something that guards you from bad weather. Occasionally, I don't know if you noticed when you walked in the door here today, but occasionally when I'm working, I'll go sit outside by the playground. we got the nice shelter built out there. 
And every so often, while I'm sitting there working, all of a sudden a thunderstorm will pop up, you know, a summer shower, and it'll just start downpouring. But guess what? I feel no need to jump up and run inside. Because even though everything else around me is getting wet, I'm safe under the shelter. I'm secure under the shelter. And so I can just sit and keep on working. A shadow is very similar, right? But it's, it's a little bit different. A shadow has to do more with heat and with light. Uh, I don't know about you personally. It's kind of funny that I guess I grew up here, but I don't personally like going to the beach. Uh, I can be maybe coaxed to go to the beach, but this is what the only way I will go to the beach is if there is the promise of a shadow. The only way that I am going to get caught out of the beach is if there is an umbrella or a big old hat or a big cloudy day that is covering uh, something between the sun and me. That's the only way you're going to catch me out there. And then we see this word refuge. Uh, What comes to my mind when I think of the word refuge, for, for whatever reason right now, is the image of millions of people fleeing their homes in Ukraine. Right? Knowing that to stay is not safe, that the threat is too great, that what normally feels safe in a home is no longer trustworthy. And so leaving home, leaving that sense of safety and security to, to go find refuge. And then this final image, the fortress fortress. I'm sure some of you have done this. Um, I have been down there a few times, but I love traveling down to Charleston and seeing where they built Fort Moultrie with palmetto trees. It's really cool. Uh, they built Fort Moultrie with palmetto trees, and, and one of the things that you learn if you go there is that in the American Revolution, when the British cannons would shoot at that fort, it was said that the cannonballs would just bounce right off because the trees were they're, they're, they're made to flux in the wind. And so the cannonballs would just bounce right off of, those, of that fort. It's pretty cool. So these images, the shelter, the shadow, the refuge, the fortress, in a sense they're all intended to communicate basically the same thing. That for you and I, what it means to trust God is to transfer our confidence for safety and for life over to Him. To put our trust for our precious, fragile lives in his hands. Uh, recently, I was coaxed to go out to the beach by some people that I love. And so I generously applied uh, sunscreen. And I just felt, you know, so good about it. I was like, all right, I can do this. I can make it for a few hours, you know. Well, lo and behold, I get home later that afternoon, and I was burnt to a crisp. Now, I didn't even know this was possible, but apparently I had applied sunscreen that was out of date. Did you even know that sunscreen could go out of date? I had put my trust in this thing. I had thought, I'm good. I can make it. I'll, I'll be safe. But it let me down because the thing that I had put my trust in was not trustworthy. Here's what this psalm from the outset is trying to get us to do. It's inviting us to put our trust in what he calls here the most high. (laughs) That's what he says. The almighty. 
Right? There's nothing slipping through. There's nothing passing through the Almighty. There's nothing getting over top of the one who is the most high. You and I are invited to put our trust in him. Why? Because he is completely trustworthy. So let's talk about our real lives for just a minute. Let's be honest, right? We have all, we have all tried to build these little citadels out of our life. We have all sought things in which we have attempted to encase our lives in safety. And what part of what we're learning from this psalm today is that anything you and I have run to, to secure our lives, to find life, to rescue us, to deliver us, anything that we've put our trust in that's not God is going to leave us burned in the end. That because our trouble is so comprehensive, we need a salvation that is equally comprehensive. And that can only be found when we put our trust in the Most High. We're being invited today to find shelter in the all-powerful one. Now, remember, uh, we said from the beginning that this psalm is primarily about Jesus. Uh, if you think about the life of Jesus, here's a really good way to think about it. Think about it. Jesus never left the shadow of the Almighty. Not one time did Jesus ever step outside of God's shelter. Every moment of Jesus' life, he sought security in no other place but God himself. And there's a few, I think, important ways that Jesus demonstrates his faith for us. Right? These things that I'm going to mention, they aren't faith itself, but they show us what faith looks like, what it looks like to trust God for our life. Here's a couple ways that I think you and I can emulate Jesus in this. One is his life of prayer. God, Jesus was really good at sneaking away. Jesus was really good at tiptoeing off in the middle of the night away from everybody else so that he could actively pray and seek refuge, be restored when he was tired, when he was tempted, when life got hard. I don't know if you know this. Life got hard for Jesus. He is fully man. And so he ran to the Father in prayer. Another way uh, that we see Jesus demonstrate his faith was through his life of obedience. What does it mean to obey God but to stay within God's shadow? That, that obedience is not faith, but when we obey God, it demonstrates our faith. When we do what he says, we show that we trust that what he says is best. So we see Jesus demonstrate his faith through obeying. And then a final way, and it's probably, I don't know, for me, one of my favorites, that we see Jesus demonstrate his faith, is that he trusted God's vindication rather than defending himself. There was probably no temptation that was greater for Jesus than the temptation to prove himself. Jesus was constantly misunderstood. Jesus was constantly questioned and falsely accused. But what did Jesus do? He enclosed himself within God's fortress. He hid himself under the shadow of the Almighty. And guess what, guys? God vindicated him by raising him from the dead. Right? Look who's laughing now. Jesus trusted 
in God's protection, his fortress, and God delivered him. So as we work through the rest of this psalm, I just want to for a second speak to those of you here who maybe know, you know that you have not put your trust in Jesus. You have not trusted God. As we work through the rest of this psalm, all of these wonderful promises that we're going to look at, they are for those who are hidden in Christ. They are for those who have come up under the shelter of Jesus. They are for those who have thrown in the towel and said, I do not believe that I have what it takes to keep my life safe. And so I'm running to Christ. I'm running to Jesus because he alone is the safe place. And so if you have not done that, I just want to invite you to consider, just consider as we work through this psalm, all that God is promising those who would turn from their sins and place their faith in Jesus. The reason that we conquer by faith is not because you and I conquer. The reason that we conquer by faith is because Jesus has conquered and we've placed our lives in him. So the second question driving us forward today is this. So the first question is, um, how do we conquer in Christ? The second question is this, what do we conquer in Christ? What do we conquer in Christ? And here's the answer. Everything. Everything. Verse 3 starts out this way. It says, For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. What I like about how this verse starts out is, this verse gives us similar things, but, but in a way they're different, right? The snare of the fowler is something that someone has intentionally set to try and catch you. But the pestilence is just part of living in a troubled world. So some of the trouble, some of the issues that you and I are going to face in life, some of them are going to come from ill intent. But others of them are just going to be part of the fact that you and I live in this hard, harsh world. And then verse 4 says this. It says, He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. I mean, what an amazing picture of God's care for his people, right? The reason that the smaller animals don't get knocked over by the storm or devoured by the predator is because the larger animal has put its wings down. The larger animal is saying, I'm going to take the brunt of the threat so that you can remain safe inside. And then God's faithfulness is personified as a shield. You just kind of imagine for a second that you've got this shield all around you. And, and, and you might be wondering, is there a gap? Is there a hole? Is there a, is there a sliver of light that can get through? And the psalmist saying, no. God's faithfulness is a shield. It is a perfect shield all the way around. And then verses 5 and 6 say, You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the error that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Again, guys, this psalm does absolutely communicate our comprehensive frailty. There is trouble in the daytime. There is trouble at night. There is trouble in the darkness. There is trouble in the light. Everywhere we look, there is trouble. But I think that this psalm is kind of getting us to imagine it kind of like this. If we are hidden under the wings of God. We need not fear anything. We need not. Nothing in the night, nothing in the day, nothing in the dark, nothing in the light, nothing in the past, nothing in the future. If we are enclosed within God, what is there to fear? Really, what is there to fear? Now, this past week, uh, probably, probably not allowed to do this in my neighborhood, but um, we went out back to feed 
some of the ducks. Thought it was going to be a fun family exercise, okay? So we took some bread, and at first it was fun. You know, we threw a couple pieces out there, and a couple, one or two, three ducks kind of came up, and then within a few seconds, things got way out of hand, okay? All of a sudden, a big old herd of ducks are moving in our way, and they are moving in our way fast, and they are, you know, quacking, barking, and they are pecking, you know, and starting to move faster and faster. And I'm trying to throw the bread, you know, in the other direction, and it's not working. They are just coming at us. And so what do we do? I, we, we scooped everybody up and had to make a run for it, right? So we run around the corner, rush around the corner, inside the fence, and slam, the gate closes. And for a second, we can take a deep breath. Now, let's be honest. Thought about it afterwards. If the ducks had gotten to us, we probably would have been just fine. Okay? But in the moment, in the moment, we felt the panic. We felt like we needed protection. But as soon as the, the door and the gate closed, we could laugh at the ducks. We could laugh at ourselves. You know, they, they couldn't get to us anymore, so there's nothing to fear. And what this psalm is intended to communicate is, Those who have found refuge in God, those who have been placed under God's shelter, those who dwell under the shadow of the Almighty, they can't be touched. They can be quacked at. They can be rushed at. But there's no need to fear when we're surrounded by the faithfulness of God. And uh, here's just a, I don't know, a moment of maybe uh, cultural awareness is, uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but probably the, the current mood that describes the world in which we live probably more than any other right now is panic. There's a lot of panic. Uh, and we are invited into that panic. We are being solicited to panic. We are being told to freak out. We are being called to sound alarms, to move to the extremes. And so maybe, just maybe, one of the greatest opportunities that Christians have right now is to be able to look at reality right in the face and still know that we have hope and still know that we are safe and secure in the arms of God. Come what may, we are safe. What an awesome opportunity for our time. Verse 7 and 8 continue, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Uh, This is a powerful imagery, and I think this is actually alluding back to the Exodus. Back in the book of Exodus, in the Bible book of Exodus, when God brought his people out of Egypt, the last straw is that God sent the death angel to kill all the firstborn sons in the land. And Psalm 91.7 essentially happens in the life of Israel in one night. Thousands upon thousands upon ten thousands dead. But not the sons of the Israelites. Why? Was it because they were better? Was it because they didn't deserve God's judgment? No, we actually find out, find out later in the Bible that while Israel was in Egypt, they had become idolaters. They weren't worshiping God. They had begun to worship the gods of the Egyptians. 
So why? Why are the thousands upon thousands upon thousands dead and yet their sons alive? Well, because God had told them to kill a lamb. To kill a lamb and to put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their house. And if that lamb, the blood of that lamb was on their house, they were covered. They were atoned for. The lamb had taken the place of the son. And that's why in John chapter 1, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he says, Behold, the lamb of God. Because that first Passover, while it was real and while it was true, it pointed forward to a greater, truer, more important Passover that God's own son Jesus would be the only safe place from God's judgment. This is what this psalm is talking about, verse 8, when it talks about the recompense of the wicked. The recompense of the wicked. That's the Old Testament version of what the New Testament says, the wages of sin is death. It's what you earn. It's what we deserve that we've rebelled against God, and what we deserve for our rebellion is death. That is the recompense of the wicked. And so why do we not perish? Why do we not fall just like everybody else? Why did thousands upon ten thousands fall under the judgment of God, but some are covered? Is it because they're better people? Is it because they haven't worshipped other gods? Is it because they've never in their life trusted other things? Is it because they are morally more upright than anybody else? No. The only reason thousands fall at our side and ten thousands at our right hand, but it will not touch you, is if we are covered by the blood of Jesus. The only safe place from the judgment of God is under the covering, under the atonement that he has provided. Uh, Maybe here's just a simple, simple, simple illustration. You know, just imagine going outside and you're in a crowd of ten thousand people. And on a dime it just starts to pour down rain but you have an umbrella. And so all around you, thousands upon thousands, soaking wet, but you're dry. That is the picture of atonement. The umbrella takes the rain so that you stay dry. And when God invites us to place our trust in Jesus, that is exactly what he's doing. Guys, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you feel, what you think is the greatest threat to your life. But here is what the Bible says is the greatest threat to your life. The greatest threat to your life is what we deserve for our sins. The greatest threat for us is having to stand before God not covered in the blood of Jesus. There might be temporary peace of mind in trusting other things. I want to ask you this morning, what good would it do if you overcame all these other obstacles in your life only to be condemned before God for eternity? What good would that do? Please, I implore you, I beg you, run to Jesus for shelter. Don't trust yourself. You might have learned to trust yourself in other things, You might have thought that you could secure your life with money or with success or with people. The only thing that will 
cover you on the day of the recompense of the wicked is if you have run to Jesus. And then verse 9 and 10. Uh, this is really the heart of the whole psalm. This is sort of the, if you, if you kind of summarize the whole psalm in two verses. Here it is. It says, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. There are more threats to, to our lives than we can keep count of. Turn around and look in every direction, and there is trouble. But God's promise for those who are under his shadow, under his shelter, within his fortress, hidden beneath his refuge, is that no evil shall befall you. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, you know, you and I, uh, we have filters, right? We have filters for all sorts of things. We have filters for air, for oil, for water. Every couple, of, I don't know, six months or so, I'm supposed to change the filter on my refrigerator. I don't do it as often as I should, but what is the purpose of these filters, right? Something comes rushing in, and there's things that need to be separated out, things that need to be pulled out. So I, I put my cup onto the, the fridge thing there, a rush of water comes, and there's stuff that's sucked out, and then the water comes through and hits my cup. And what the psalm is teaching us is that for those who have put their faith in Jesus, those who are hidden within God's refuge, within God's fortress, evil can't get through to you. It can't ultimately affect you, overcome you, defeat you. It can't. Why? Not because of you, not because of me, but because it has to pass through God first. And he is impenetrable. Now, verse 11 and 12, to me, are just outstanding. Uh, Honestly, it's a little bit of a corrective in my own view of life, if I'm being really honest with you. One of the ways God wraps his protecting arms around us, one of the ways God protects his people, is by sending his angels to serve and help and protect. Verse 11 and 12 say this, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Guys, if you and I could just see with spiritual eyes, if we could just see life from God's perspective, we would see that he unleashes even spiritual beings in our service for our protection. This is what it says in Hebrews 1, 14, talking about angels. Listen to how clear this is. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? You know, I don't know if this is true. I have no idea if this is true or not. But wouldn't it be cool if one day God allows us to watch our lives back from his perspective? I don't know if we'll get a chance to do that, but if we do, one of the things we would see is thousands of times that God was working in our lives, protecting us, caring for us, sheltering us in ways that we didn't even know. We couldn't even see because we didn't have the spiritual eyes to see. And then in verse 13, this little final verse in this section, I love the way this section ends. Remember this morning, we're not just talking about being sheltered, being protected, although we are talking about that. We're talking about being more than conquerors. And that's why I love how verse 13 says this. It says, you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample underfoot. 
This first means that you and I aren't just on defense, hiding under God's protection, but that we also move out in God's armor, as God's army, to tread and to trample. We push back darkness. We proclaim the glory of God to the ends of the earth. We defeat our sin. We resist Satan. We trample on death as we rejoice in resurrection life. We aren't just retreating back into God's safety, but we are also moving forward in God's power. We are more than conquerors. And so, what is it that we conquer? What is it that the person in Jesus conquers? Everything. That's the point. We've rehearsed every possible trouble, every possible thing that could go wrong. And Psalm 91 says, if you're in Christ, if you're hidden in the refuge, you overcome. Now, this is how we must embrace Psalm 91. Psalm 91, most of the most and most of the time, is a comforting psalm. But occasionally this might be a troubling psalm. So this is how we have to embrace Psalm 91. We must realize that the, the truth, the promises of Psalm 91 are for us as they were for Jesus. They are for us as they were for Jesus. Lots of terrible, painful, shameful things happened to Jesus. Does that mean that God's word failed? Lots of difficult things happened in the life of Jesus. Does that mean that God wasn't good on his promises? No, what we have to ask, the question we have to ask is this. Is there anything that has overcome Jesus? The answer is no, Jesus has overcome everything. Did shame overcome Jesus? No, look, we see him seated with glory and honor, right? Did sin overcome Jesus? No, we see sin left down in the grave where Jesus took it, right? Did evil people overcome Jesus? No, what they meant for evil, God used for greatest good, right? Did death overcome Jesus? Well, yeah, Jesus died, but guess what? He arose to never die again. So you and I receive these promises. We receive the truth of Psalm 91 as it was for Jesus, so it will be for us. And this is what this means. It means both the future promises that we look forward to, we know are 100% guaranteed, and this is what this psalm means, that God has every hair of your head numbered. He has every day of your life planned. And if you are in Christ, he has promised to carry you through per, to perfection until you receive all the promises that he has made to you. Not one will not come true. That's why Paul says in Romans 8.37, No, in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. In all these things. So here's an important question I want to ask. Uh, is there anything in your life that though you're hidden in Jesus, you are afraid might defeat you? Is there anything in this world that though you are wrapped within God's faithfulness, wrapped within God's omnipotence, wrapped within his promises, 
Is there anything that you're feeling like might just overtake you? Here's my encouragement. I want to encourage you to shift your eyes from that thing to Jesus. And then hopefully just keep plodding forward. And this is what's going to happen. A thousand years from now, you will look back and you will see whatever that thing was that you thought might just defeat you, you will see that thing trampled under your feet. Not because of what you've done, not because of your power, but because Jesus is the champion. Now the final question we have to ask this morning is this. Why do we conquer in Christ? And we've already been talking about it. Why do we conquer in Christ? And the answer is the promises of God. The promises of God. Verse 14 to 16 say this. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Eight promises, eight wonderful promises here in, at the end of this psalm. I will deliver him. I will protect him. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him. I will honor him. I will satisfy him with long life, and I will show him my salvation. Guys, this is what Jesus has secured for us. So when you are feeling defeated, God says to you, I will deliver. When you are feeling alone, God says to you, I am with you in your trouble. When you are feeling like your life, your very life is slipping away, God looks to you and he says, I will satisfy you with not just long life, but everlasting life. When you and I feel threatened, when we sense our frailty, God looks at us and he says, I've got you. You're safe. You're secure. You're in my arms. So, um, this is where we wrap up today. Uh, I want to talk just specifically for a few moments about fear. I think fear is something that most of us experience. Um, It's a God-given thing, but it gets way out of whack sometimes. And fear typically does two things to us. Fear keeps us from being able to rest. And... Fear keeps us from being able to risk. Keeps us from rest, and it keeps us from risk. So if it is true that because we are in Jesus, we are more than conquerors, that there's literally nothing that can overtake our life, there's nothing that can come between us and the fulfillment of God's promises, then first, I want to invite you to rest Rest in your salvation, that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, that not even a future bad decision you make could remove you from God's family, that because of what Jesus has done for you, there are no sins from your past that could creep up and somehow sneak through God's love and cause Him to no longer care for you. Rest in your salvation. Because what Jesus has done is enough. But also this. 
Not just in your salvation, not just in your secure future, but also rest in God's day-to-day care in your life. Guys, it says in Psalm 139 that every day of our life is already planned before we live it. We are safe in His arms. God knows exactly what He has planned for your life. He knows exactly how to use the pain and difficulty that you experience to produce greater glory for you in the future. God knows exactly what He's doing in your life. And so we can rest in His purposes and His plan moment by moment. But also... If fear calls us not to rest, but because we're more than conquerors, we can rest, fear also causes us not to risk. And so the fact that we are more than conquerors means that we can risk. And just two thoughts on risk. One is this, it is a risk to obey God. It is a risk to put Him first. It is a risk to do what He says, because sometimes it means we will have less for ourselves. Sometimes it means that there are people that might not be thrilled about the choices that we make. There's all sorts of risks involved with following God's plan for life. But if we're safe in the refuge, then we can take that risk. And then almost a subset of that is, guys, we can risk for the mission of Christ We can take that risk with a friend who we're afraid of rocking the boat in the relationship, but we tell them about Jesus anyways. We can risk that family member who we are afraid who might make fun of us at the holiday for bringing up our faith. We can risk it. Why? Because we're safe. We're secure. Here's what I think. We have nothing to lose. (laughs) Nothing. The ducks can't get in. Right? We're, we're in the fence, safe, secure. So why not risk it? Because in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for just your overabundant goodness, your overabundant faithfulness. God, there's literally nothing that we've heard in your word this morning that we deserve. There's nothing that we've earned. It all comes down from you because you are this wonderful father who wants to care for your children. And so, Lord, lead us to trust Jesus. Lead us to run to the one who is our shelter. Lead us to put our faith in the one who covers our life with your grace. We look to him, we love him, and we trust him with all of our being. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.